Welcome to Hockey Press Pass, presented by Instat Hockey, the Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village, and by HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Our guest is Brendan Burke, the play-by-play voice of the New York Islanders on MSG Networks, the NHL on TNT, and many, many other sports. Brendan, thank you so much for doing this. It really means a lot. I appreciate it. Hey, happy to do it. Thanks for having me. First question is... It, it, are you doing what you always wanted to do, and was there a backup plan, or was this the dream for a long time? No, I'm, I'm all in. This is, <laughs> there was no backup plan. This was, uh, this was a plan that was hatched when I was about nine years old. So um, to be able to, uh, to, to get here and get to this level and, and make a living doing what I've wanted to do since I was a kid um, really is a dream come true. So th- this was it. This is, this is the only plan I've ever had. I imagine that it started with uh, your father, who was a sports writer in the Milwaukee area and covered the, the IHL, AHL, uh, AHL team too. But were there other inspirations along the way, whether it be other broadcasters, uh, who really, you know, you, you saw them and said, that's what I want to do? Yeah. I mean, it started with, with my dad being on the, I guess, the media side of sports. And that was my first real exposure to um, you know, to, to that lifestyle. And, uh, you know, he wound up being a, a baseball writer for most of his career, was the Yankee beat writer for a long time and covered the Mets and covered the New Jersey Nets and um, has covered a lot of different things. And so I had a very unique childhood where I was exposed to, you know, the the media side of sports and, and going and watching batting practice before the gates opened at Yankee Stadium and things like that. And along with that came some opportunities uh, to, to be influenced by broadcasters. And, and the first guys that I have to give a lot of credit to uh, the pair of John Sterling and Michael Kay, who were the Yankees radio broadcasters together at the time um, when I was a kid. And because I would go on trips with my dad sometimes, I would they would actually let me sit in the radio booth with them when I was nine years old and, and watch the game from the booth. And so that was the first time I realized that that was their job and they got paid to do that. Um, and as soon as I realized that they got paid to do that, I was sign me up. I'll, I'll take some of that. So um, those guys really inspired me to to pursue it as a career um, and, and watching and listening to them. Um, and, and then as as my my broadcasting aspirations continued, um, I tried to consume as much as I could in the broadcasting world. I um, I remember when I was in college, I got a, you know, a, a satellite radio subscription and tried to listen to as many baseball games and hockey games as I could um, and just try to, to take as much as I could from as many broadcasters as I could find um, and kind of develop your own style. I think the, 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 the adage that I go by is you don't copy someone, you copy everyone. Um, you kind of copy as, as many people as you can that, that do it in the way that you think is best. And so that's what I was able to do um, in terms of, you know, specific hockey guys. I think, you know, I, I, I have to say doc, right. Doc's my guy. I grew up in New Jersey um, when he was the devil's announcer. And then he was, you know, the big voice for the big games for most of my, uh, most of my life here. So um, he's probably had the biggest influence on on me and my style calling a hockey game because when I hear him call a game, that's how I want to hear it. And so um, for myself, I, I, I don't think I sound like Doc, but I think that there are some characteristics and some qualities that, I, that I've tried to take from him and, and transition into my life and my career. You should, you would definitely hear that, and which is a compliment to you and, and to Doc. And also should point out that John Sterling is one of the many voices of the Islanders in the 70s. Before Jiggs, Howie, Brendan, there were uh, several announcers on the TV and radio side. And if you ever run to John Sterling again or have recently, he will remind you that he was the voice, <laughs> voice of the New York Islanders. Um, do you recall your 
like, did you sit in a press box or even in the stand with the phone, with some sort of recording device and do that first practice game that I know a lot of people do who want to get into play-by-play specifically? 93 Major League Baseball All-Star Game in Baltimore. Um, I It was right after I had kind of made that decision um, on a road trip. I, I think it was at, at, at Fenway Park where I had sat with, with Kay and Sterling in the booth. Um, and I talked to my dad about it and kind of said that I thought that this might be a cool thing to do in my career. And I, I'm pretty sure he said that his, you know, he had a micro cassette recorder that he would record interviews with. And I'm pretty sure he said he needed a new one. I don't know if that was actually true or if he just saw the opportunity and he gave me his old one. Um, and, and like I said, I was very fortunate to grow up and, and have a lot of opportunities. And so I wound up going to the, the 93 All-Star Game in Baltimore. Um, I was born in July, so it was always around my birthday and he would take me on these these trips to all-star games. And in that one, I was, I was nine years old. Um, and I sat behind the left field foul pole, which is not a great place to try and call uh, a baseball game from. Um, and so to the annoyance of my mom and aunt and uncle, and probably everybody within a, a few seats of us, uh, I sat there and I called every pitch, every pitch of that baseball game that lasted God knows how many hours. So, um, my dad, has told me for years and years and years that he still has those tapes and they would resurface at a very opportune time. Uh, I have good news to report for me, at least, is that he has them, he found them, and they no longer work. So um, we, we physically have those tapes, uh, but they do not play. That's amazing that it wasn't like you picked some corner of a you know an empty section in an arena. You were in a filled stadium for the All-Star oh, yeah. game. Oh, yeah. Everybody was right there next to me. So uh, I can't imagine I made too many friends that night. Well, now there's a lot of people saying they were there. They remember, you know. <laughs> um, the Islanders play Tuesday night in Washington, which presents a great opportunity for us and, and, and for our listeners as well, if you will uh, play along and give us a real kind of a blow-by-blow, blow, and I could interject, uh, you know, to go all the way through it, but of your preparation specifically for this game, Islanders, Washington, MSG Networks, an important game. I know you treat them all the same, probably, but can you give us an idea of your the 24 hours or so leading up to that game, how you get ready for your role? Yeah, um, you know, at this point in the season, it, it's it's kind of a strange thing because uh, we've done so many games, and you know, for me, fortunately, it worked out. Um, I did a Capitals game last Wednesday at Edmonton, um, so I'm I'm pretty well versed on the Capitals in terms of where they are and what they're doing, in, in terms of my notes, all my all my notes that I had updated ready for for Ovechkin to pass Yager last uh, Wednesday night. He didn't do it. He hasn't scored since. All my notes are still good to go, um, so that helps out quite a bit for the Caps tomorrow. Um, on Tuesday night. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just a matter of you try and consume as much as you can in terms of newspaper articles and, and going through the clips. And I'll go through the game notes on the day of the game once they get published and make sure that I've gotten all there. Uh, Eric Kornick, who provides the skinny for Islander fans, uh, all the statistical information, I, I go through that and make sure that I've pulled out the stuff that I that I think is is worthy of getting on the air. Not that it's not all great, but there's a lot to it. Um, and you kind of got to pick and choose about what you use and, and what not to use. Um, and just try and be, uh, you know, I, I, I keep a detailed sheet of every player that will play in that game and every player on, on both rosters. And so to make sure that is up to date, not only with current information and stats, but biographical information and injuries and all of those kind of things, um, 
you know, working with Butch Goring, who I won't be working with, um, you know, for the next couple of weeks as he recovers from shoulder surgery, but working with Butch Goring has has upped my game prep uh, because he loves to ask questions on live television. And so I try and have the answer to everything that he might ask me in front of me somewhere, whether it was uh, the team and the year and the pick that they were drafted with, or if that guy used to play in Buffalo or not, um, I try and get all those bases covered. So I, I, you never know who's going to be the star of a particular game. And so you have to assume that everybody uh, is going to be that star. And, and I try and prepare accordingly for, for each individual player in that regard. We're sending our very, very best to Butchie. He's a terrific guy, and, you know, he wants to be back soon, and I'm sure he will. Is there any – I get it, right? You just did this Washington game, and it's a team you know well. But will there be any kind of a huddle, however informal, or even an exchange of texts with a Joe Beninati or somebody on the Washington side just, hey, anything I'm missing? Well, Joe, you know, you might have seen Wallstrom's now on this line or something like that. Is there any kind of little conferencing there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that we've missed over the past couple of years is that that interaction between broadcasters. It's where you get some of your best stuff. There's no way that I could follow the Capitals as well as a Joe Beninati or a John Walton does on a daily basis. Uh, and they couldn't do that same thing that I do with the Islanders. And so that exchange of information that, you know, usually takes place in a press box has been reduced to, like I said, casual text messages or even phone calls over the last few years. Um, you know, it's funny, we've kind of, we all know what's going on and we've all been in the same boat and we all understand when we are at a game and our counterpart is not. And that has been, you know, really something special where if I'm doing a game on Long Island and I know that the Caps broadcasters aren't there and something happens during warmups, I'll fire them a text, I'll give them a phone call, I will do whatever I need to do to make sure that they are getting what they might be missing by not being there. And so I'm excited to be, I haven't seen Joe B in, in a couple of years. Uh, I'm excited to see him at the game because uh, they haven't been traveling much and we haven't played the Caps. Uh, we, meaning the Islanders, haven't seen the Caps uh, this season. So it'll be uh, it'll be good to get down to D.C. and to see those guys. And yeah, I'll, I'll chat with both Joe Beninati, the, the TV guy, and um, John Wall, the radio guy, and get their perspective on their team and, and be ready to go. I didn't see them in Edmonton. They didn't make that trip to Edmonton, even though I did for TNT last week. So I'm um, looking forward to seeing those guys. What's it like uh, toggling back between Butch and, and you know when he's uh, there every game and he for the most part he has been right yeah. and then working with a Panga or a TNT I, the, it sure as heck seems like different cadences to me different requirements I'll say this a couple of times I say it all the time in the show this isn't coal mining right this isn't surgery but it is different and. Butch engages a lot, uh, in, to my mind, when the action is going on. I don't know if Panger does, but can you just speak a little bit to the differences when you're have, going from one partner to another, often on back-to-back -back nights? Yeah, so my biggest adjustment, especially with, with working with Butch, is that I spent, before getting the Islanders job, 10 years doing minor league hockey on the radio alone. So being alone on radio and working with an analyst on television are absolutely polar opposites of doing the same job of doing hockey play by play. Um, and then working with Butch, who, as you mentioned, likes to interject while play is going on. Uh, that was that was an adjustment um, year one. And so I kind of altered my call to be a little more passive, a little more breathy, a little more opportunity for him to jump in without it feeling like he's stepping on me to get in. Um, and so my natural call now has probably a little bit more room than 
than most or than I would have if Butchie wasn't my partner, perhaps. Um, and so I just kind of leave those spots for them naturally to jump in. And if they take it, they take it. And if not, I will continue on. And so the adjustment comes when you're working with with Panger or AJ or whoever it may be um, that's not Butch is that you kind of get a feel for how active they're going to be in the first period and kind of go from there. And and I still kind of leave the same call, but I'm always I'm always prepared to pick it back up and keep going. I will give it a natural pause. If they're next to me, I might take a glance over at them. Um, and if they're they've got something, they'll go. If not, you know, I think we all know from working as many games as we have about when is that time to naturally jump in. And so they can feel that and I can feel if they're going to do it or not. And if they don't, then we just keep moving along. And if they want to jump in, great. I would love to hear what they have to say. And I think everybody else would too. So um, I, I try and make it as easy for the partner that I'm working with on that particular night to, to jump in when they want. Um, and if they don't want to, then that's fine by me. After a game is over or before your next one, will you ever listen or do you listen back regularly on a broadcast? Will you maybe look for a particular spot just to check back how that went? Any, I mean, you've been doing this now for a while. You're a young man, but now you're doing a, a regular, especially with this Islander schedule every other night, right? So I, don't, I can't see you doing it all the time, but any kind of review process for Brendan Burke? Yeah, I mean, I did six games in seven nights last week, so... Um, it makes it it makes it a little more challenging. A lot of times I'm watching more watching the the broadcast for uh, the team of the games that I'm doing next uh, more than reviewing. I, I, I should watch and listen to more of my own broadcast that, uh, than I do. Um, I'll watch the highlights and condensed versions of the games, but that's not a, a good indicator of how the broadcast was. Right. Everybody remembers the big moments, remembers the highlights, the goals, the, those things. But what you really get judged on as a play-by-play guy is those moments in between. Um, you know, that's where you're either entertaining the viewer or not. When the action entertains them, that's easy. I can do that all day. Anybody can do that. But it's those moments in between where it's just nothing happening, nothing relatively, um, where where your, your opportunity is to shine. And so those are the moments where you really should listen back and, and try and critique yourself. And, and I will, and I do, and you pick up you know, simple things like I use that word too much. And it's something that you don't necessarily understand while the game broadcast is going on. Um, I mean, there are games that I watch back where I don't even remember saying words that that have come out of my mouth. And I think to myself, I would never say that if you gave me time to think about it, but they just come out in those moments. And so you, you just have to listen back and you either like it or you don't. Um, but yeah, the, the only way, one of the only ways to get better as a broadcaster is to listen back to your own work. And I, uh, like I said, I, I, I don't do it enough. I should do it more. As an old uh, theater geek, there used to be a thing I'm talking about a real long time ago, uh, about, uh, how it, the importance of playing in Peoria before you'd <laughs> come to Broadway, for example, yep. you actually used to, to use one of those words that people say too often, actually, and obviously, including me. <laughs> played Peoria. What was the importance of all that work in uh, Peoria and also Utica in preparing you for this moment or for these last few years? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Those were, like I said, I spent 10 years in the minor leagues. Two of them were actually in Wheeling, West Virginia in the ECHL, my first job out of school. Then I spent five years in Peoria and then three more in Utica, the last eight in the American Hockey League. Um, and, and that was everything. Like I said, I did, not only did I do 
every game by myself all every night. But I did the pregame. I did the postgame. I did the intermissions. I did the coaches' interviews. And, oh, yeah, I was the traveling secretary. I booked flights, hotels, and meals and did community relations and media relations and social media and everything else. And so, um, you know, my my goal when everybody asked me what my dream job is, I said, my dream job is just to get to a job where all I have to do is the broadcasting part. That was it. I, I didn't care where or what I was doing, but I wanted to just be a broadcaster. Um, after doing 10 years of all that other stuff, that was that was the goal. Um but to be able to, to kind of figure it out on my own, especially those first two years in Wheeling, where I was coming out of, I was coming out of college. I was 22 years old. I was fortunate enough to land in the ECHL, which is a jump start on a lot of people's careers. Which is, um, you know, why I was able to get as as far as I did as quickly as I did. Um, I kind of skipped a few steps right out of school, and I had that ability to kind of to to learn on the job. And they just handed me a headset and said, "Hey, go call the game." Um, and I did that for a couple of years and, and then was able to move on to the AHL and kind of keep doing that same thing. And so I worked in some places that gave me the freedom to just call hockey and do what I thought needed to be done. And I treated those broadcasts like I was in the NHL. Uh, there is there is no difference other than probably the amount of time I was able to spend prepping because I had all the other responsibilities that I mentioned. Um, that That's a difference between my broadcast now and my broadcast then. I worked... I worked as if I was on the NHL and there were millions of people watching every night and where a lot of times it was my dad and a few others um, that, that were listening. So this is, uh, you know, everything's kind of webcast and stream now. Um, and that, that kind of came in while I was down in the AHL, but I mean, nowhere near as high quality as it is now. Uh, but, you know, it's just being able to kind of feel my way through it. And, you know, Malcolm Gladwell style, 10,000 hours. I mean, I, the only way to get better as a broadcaster is to just do it. And to broadcast, and uh, I don't—I never counted up the hours, but I'd imagine I'm pretty close to those ten thousand hours with my ten years, uh, eighty-two games a year in the American Hockey League. So, um, just the ability and the repetition. And I tell kids all the time that want to get into this uh, how to get better—you just have to do it. And it doesn't matter if if just your dad is listening, or you're doing it into a, a computer or a phone or whatever it is, and nobody's ever going to hear it. The act of calling games and prepping for games and reflecting on what worked, what didn't, what information you have in front of you that you needed, what information that you needed that you didn't have in front of you, that whole process is the only way to get better at, at what we do. And so being able to do that on a nightly basis and get paid to do it and, and have a living um, while I was doing that, you know, that's where that, that invaluable experience comes in. Because there are so many people that want to be broadcasters that are broadcasters that do it as a side job, that do it as a hobby, that do it because they love it and have a passion for it, but they can't make a living doing it. And I was fortunate for 10 years in the minor leagues to make a living while I was doing it. That's a beautiful answer. And I appreciate that, Brendan. You got the call in 2016, but I think those of us who follow the NHL, it's just like, you're here. We don't think about the climb. Was there a moment, and you got the call at a, at a, at a good age, but was there a moment where either when you're thinking about family and your future where you thought, you know, can I continue to do this for a long time? Were there any moments and maybe you couldn't get too specific about other opportunities you might have been up for? I, pre I respect that. But was there a moment where it was it could be backbreaking at times? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the I didn't get way more jobs than I got. 
Um, I can say that. Uh, you know, every time an NHL job opens, it is uh, everybody in the AHL thinks this is this is my moment. This is the one I've been waiting for. Um, and there were a few teams that I had some good talks with, but nothing really came from it. Um, but I think the the one time that that probably fits the bill on that description would be when I was in Peoria after my fifth season. They sold the team and. They sold the team and folded it. And I was I was on unemployment. I was collecting unemployment in Illinois, wondering what I was going to do with my life. Um, I was hoping that the Vancouver Canucks who purchased the team from the St. Louis Blues were going to place that AHL team somewhere in the United States and that I would have a decent chance at getting that job again. But I didn't have it. It wasn't I didn't get moved with the team. It worked out that way where they put it in Utica, New York. I called Rob Esch, the president of the Utica, and said, listen, there's nobody better for that job because it's mine. I've been doing it for five years. If you'd like me to come, um, I will, and, and I would like to. And so I wound up doing that. But for months there, I didn't have a job. And so that kind of was like, hey, I've been doing this hockey broadcasting for seven years. I don't know where it's going. I don't know if an eighth year is going to be the difference or a ninth year or a tenth year. Am I, have I done seven years and I've got a great tape and let me go do something else. And if an opportunity comes up, I've still got seven years worth of tape. I got a little bit of NHL experience uh, filling in in the St. Louis Blues uh, for Chris Kerber a couple of times. I had an NHL demo tape. Do I really need to keep doing this to still have a shot at the NHL? Maybe I go do something else. Um, and so I was kind of pursuing all angles at that point. And that's what actually led to my college football career. I spent five years doing college football for Fox Sports. And it came during that time where I wasn't sure I was going to keep doing hockey on an everyday basis. Maybe I try and freelance and do TV. Um, and so I wound up getting a college football package and the Utica Comets job at the same time and somehow was able to talk my brand new employer into letting me leave and go do something else on Fridays and Saturdays for the first couple of months of the hockey season. And, uh, it all worked out. I was really fortunate to find a really, really, really good fill-in for me um, for those games that I missed. He's now the television voice of the LA Kings, Alex Faust, which sort of eased the blow of having this new broadcaster walk out on a brand new team and didn't even call the first game. Um, but, you know, it worked out where I wound up getting both jobs and getting TV experience alongside of my radio experience, albeit in a different sport. And the marriage of those two things, I think, are what ultimately qualified me and, and got me the Islanders job in the end. Well, I always heard, I've always heard great things the last few years, several years now, about Robert Ash and his commitment and loyalty and the fact that Utica is the home of two recent uh, NHL play-by-play announcers speak volumes for, for you and Alex and, and also that organization. There's many layers to this, but I would love to get what what you absorbed is your side of the story to finally get that call. You asked you had done blues back up and did the Fox College football package. But when you got that call either to throw your hat in the ring or that you're the guy for this Islanders job at, at MSG Network, it's now been six years or so. What do you remember about that, Brendan? Boy, um, you know, the Islanders, it's funny. The Islanders were always a team that, uh, not that I have my sights set on, but just a team that always intrigued me because, um, you know, back when they started simulcasting um, and and having the MSG call on radio, it was a, hey, this isn't going to last forever. At some point, they're going to bring radio back. They're going to get a new building. They're going to move to Brooklyn. They're going to do all of these things. And perhaps maybe there'll be an opportunity to kind of jump in. And for me, as a kid who grew up in the New York City area, that would be a great spot. 
And so it was, you know, I, I've actually found an email from my dad from years before, um, a couple of years before. It was, uh, you know, when the Coliseum was closing and it was everybody was writing these articles about the history of the Islanders and the Coliseum and all these things. And he literally sent me a, an article about the Coliseum and said, file this away for when you get the Islanders job. And this was years, years before I even interviewed for it. Um, so it was just kind of funny how it worked out. But, you know, I was I remembered I was at uh, the arena in Utica doing an equipment sale for it was the end of the season. It was May. And so they were selling all of their used equipment. And I was there working in cash register, I think, because that's what I was doing. Um, and and I got a text message, I think a text message that said Howie Rose just stepped down. And obviously that's an NHL job. It didn't matter that it was the Islanders or Howie or anything like that. Um, you know, it was it was big news. And so I immediately called my agent um, and said, hey, and he goes, I know I already saw we're on it. We'll, we'll get to it. Um, and then I uh, then I shot an email to Howie. I was fortunate enough to my dad covered the Mets for a few years when I was in college. And so he knew Howie and I had known Howie and Howie was a guy that I had leaned on for advice coming up in the business. He was a guy that I had actually had call on my behalf for other NHL jobs that I did not get. Um, and just said, I'm going to fire him an email and just said, Hey, congratulations on the semi-retirement. Um, and just wanted to make sure that I was, uh, that I was keeping in touch with him. Right. And, and he responded back and just said, thanks. Don't worry. They already know who you are. Um, and so I thought that was a good sign. The ball was rolling and then it became, a. It was quite the process. I mean, that was May, I want to say 18th, but somewhere around mid to late May that Howie decided he wasn't coming back or at least informed the general public that he wasn't coming back. Um, I interviewed and auditioned throughout the process and I got the call on August 4th. So it was it was all summer. It was quite the process. Um, and I remember it was August 4th because that's my wedding anniversary. And so uh, I got a phone call from my agent. I was... <laughs> Just for the full minor league story, if, as if working a cash register at equipment sale wasn't minor league enough, um, the Utica Comets were renovating the arena and were for the entire three years that I worked there. My office was in a trailer in the back parking lot of this office. That's where I worked every day. It was broken into twice while I worked there. Uh, lost a good set of headphones too. Anyway, um, so... I get the phone call that I had been waiting for for days. I had uh, five days prior gone down to have a conversation with John Ledecky. And by conversation, I mean he and I attended a Mets-Yankees game at City Field and hung out for a few hours, and it was awesome. And I left that night thinking I was getting the Islanders job. And then they didn't call me the next day or the day after or the day after that, and I started to change my mind. Um, and then they finally called my agent called me on, on, you know, middle afternoon on August 4th and, uh, and, and had the news that, that they were offering me the job. And he immediately went into, you know, the, the terms and you know, the salaries and all this. I didn't hear any of that. I mean, it, it was just in one ear and out the other. I was just, I got the job. Um, and so I had come out of my trailer. It was August. It was hot. And I'm standing in the parking lot and I'm like, okay, I hung up with him and I'm like, what do I do now? And so I didn't feel like calling my wife who was at work. She's a nurse. I didn't feel like calling my wife was the right move. And I didn't tell her. I just literally got in my car and drove to her office. And she was like looking at me like, why are you here? Um, and, and I just smiled. And she knew. And, and that was it. But it was, uh, it was a great moment. And, and it was one that, like I said, was, was, I was waiting for it a long time. And 
So I shared that with her. And then I went out in the parking lot of her office and called my dad and told him and then my mom. And here I am. What a, a, an amazing moment that must have been. It's it's life changing, right? I mean, you, yeah. when you got to your first game, were you thinking back on you know the road to that point? I, I mean, I think about it every day, really. I mean, still to this day, it's it's um, you know that first game was kind of you know the Islanders were playing in Brooklyn and exclusively when I got the job, so I moved to Brooklyn and I lived in Brooklyn and I walked to the games. Um, you know, and it was just a complete, complete lifestyle change from, from Utica, New York, uh, to living in Brooklyn and walking to NHL games. And just that, that path to get there was, was, was something else, but it was, it, it's, it's special. And it's special every time I walk in the, in the arena, no matter what arena it is, no matter what night it is, no matter what network I'm on, it's, it's special. Hey, by the way, your timing with the Islanders though has been good because, when I worked for the team, we had equipment sales after the season. <laughs> we I don't think we worked in trailers, but there were times where <laughs> we worked in a lot of different places, and that was the NHL. So I don't know how much sympathy sympathy for you, but um, um, Howie Rose said on this show that you and Steve Mears were his two recommendations: you being first, Steve Mears being second, because if the Pittsburgh job opened up, Mears would be on the first flight to or. He'd pack up his car and drive to Pittsburgh. Uh, Jiggs McDonald says that you are the best announcer today doing the NHL. I don't say this to embarrass you, but I'll put the pressure on you and say, do you think about the legacy that you now continue from the announcers of the 70s, but with Jiggs and the dynasty, how you did a beautiful job, and now your time? Um, I mean, it's, or do you it's try kind of, not to think about it? <laughs> it's kind of grown. It was it, at first, it was just, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm at the end of a very long sentence that starts with those guys. Right. And, and, and I hadn't done anything, but at least I'm, I'm part of that list that they're making. Um, and now six years in, it becomes, uh, okay, now I need to actually live up to what these guys have done because you know, Howie was there for 20 years. Jigs was there not as not as long, but you win four cups, you could it feels like fifty, right? Like everybody thinks Jigs was there forever. He wasn't there that long. He just it was, was a, it was a quality twelve or so years. Yeah. yeah, yeah, really good timing on his part. Um, so you know, I mean, it's 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 incredible. Like the the Islanders lineage of broadcasters, um, you know, the, they have had two of the best, and so I just try and not screw it up. That's pretty much my 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 motto here is just don't screw up what they've done. Anyway, uh, and it's also really neat that it comes around to Sterling too, that he was uh, an influence yeah. uh, and such a help and him and Michael uh, K were. So that, that's very cool. Um, the, can you give an idea to the, it, it looks like you got a really nice thing. It's almost sickening. You all seem to get along so well, you and AJ and Butchie and Anson and, and uh, Steve, the producer and, and Shannon and, you know, but, but can you give the listeners an idea of what that is? Is like, is it, is, you know, are you guys having as much fun as it appears to do? And, and how has that helped you along the way? No, we all hate each other. It's just an act. Good. No, I'm Good. just, uh. I was going to ask you about Pang. I was going to ask you about Panger too, because he's known for being a jerk. You know, you get, you're working with nothing but jerks <laughs> exactly. over there, Burke. It's, it's, a t it's tough. You know, I grip my teeth and bear it. But no, I mean, <laughs> in, in reality, I, I think that let's be honest and you know this as well as anybody there are play-by-play -play and color guys uh, analysts that work together 
I don't want to say that don't like each other, but that have a professional relationship. That's it starts and ends when the when the red light comes on and when it turns off. And that's as much as they do when they do their job and they're good at it. And you probably never know that that's as far as their relationship goes. And that's it. Um, you know, for Butchie and I, it's different. Butchie and I spend a lot of time together away from the rink, um, you know, and with our uh, you know, we, we spend time in, in hotels together and we fly together and we spend time in Ubers together from airports to hotels and things like that. Um, and we legitimately enjoy each other's company. And I think that is something that one, you can't fake. And two, I think it does come across on the air where the two of us, um, you know, we have, we, we continue, we continue the broadcast for hours after it's over and we start it long before you guys get to join us. Um, so it's, it's a really cool atmosphere that we have, you know, between the two of us. And then, you know, with our, with our traveling party, I mean, we're, we're a close group because we're all going through, you know, the same things together. And, and this is, um, you know, this is not one of the bigger broadcasts. This is not a studio show and, and a play by play and color guy and, and a reporter over here. We're all kind of doing the same thing, right? We have the same production crew for our pregames and our postgames and our intermissions. And we kind of, Butchie will work on all of those. I'll jump on a pregame show. We all kind of you know, work together and, and do certain things. So, um, you know, we, we, we really do have a good group and it makes, it makes life a whole lot easier and it makes it a lot more fun to come to work. And it makes it, um, you know, I think something that, that does come across in the broadcast is how, how much we enjoy doing what we do and doing it with the people that we, we do it with. The, uh, thank you for that. The, the second final time I'll say not coal mining or anything like <laughs> that. So, but you are traveling a lot. And you were doing a lot of these games. And oh, by the way, you would have signed up for that in 2015, right? 50 times oh. over. Uh, but you have a young family. My my broader question is just about, when I talk about fitness, I mean fitness and that being able to be at your best night after night so or day after day. Are there things that you do or do you try to be mindful of rest, by the way? I'm the asshole having you do a podcast for 45 minutes yeah, you know, before a game. So, yeah, thank you. Um, but are the things that you try to do, like not do podcasts, to save your voice, to be at your sharpest? Because, oh, by the way, regardless of what happens with the honors, you're doing more games later. And, and you've done a lot of hockey over the last couple of years. So how do you stay broadcast fit for these final months of the season, final many months of the season? You mean like when Tuesday I'm in DC and Wednesday I'm in Seattle and Thursday I'm at the Garden? Yeah, um, I've seen yeah. some crazy ones where you've been in Seattle and then you're you know back on the island. So so yeah, that's what that's what inspired the question. Yeah, no, it, it's it's a good question. Um, you know, I, I'm a guy that that prepares until he runs out of time. That's unfortunately the way that I do things. I, I just I, I carry a printer with me in my bag. And I sometimes print my notes out during the national anthem. And that's, that's just the way that I do things. It's probably not the best way to do things, but that's the way that I do things is that I always am trying to get as much information ready um, and in my head and on pieces of paper and have it in front of me. Um, and I do it until I run out of time. The problem with doing it that way with the schedule that I have is that it's impossible to prep the way that I would prep if I did one game a week for every game, right? Like it's just, you cannot do it. Um, so it's just a matter of time management. And at the same time, I've learned probably the hard way that as much as I want to prep, sometimes the best thing I can do for a broadcast is take a nap. I mean, really, 
Like I'm going to get off a plane. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm on Wednesday this week. I'm going to get up in Washington D.C. I'm going to fly to Seattle. I'm going to land at 11:15 in the morning, and I have an 11:30 p.m. flight back to New York. I'm going to be in Seattle for 12 hours, call a game, and I will be at Madison Square Garden on Thursday night to call the Islanders and Rangers. That's my schedule. I know that under normal circumstances, I would spend all day Thursday prepping. But sleep will make it a better broadcast than prep will. And I've learned that. And, and, and at some point, you know, you try and be like, oh, I can, I can do this. I'm just going to prep. I'm going to do my notes. And you're like, you're not retaining the information. You're like, you know what? In order for me, and, and, and I always feel weird saying this, but this is a performance-based industry, right? This is an entertainment industry. I have to perform at seven o'clock. I need to perform on Thursday night. And yes, I need the information. And yes, I need to be prepared to call the game. But a couple of hours of sleep is going to make me perform better. It's going to make my brain function better. It's going to make whatever information I have more usable because my brain is firing and ready to roll. And so with this schedule, I've learned that sometimes it's not the prep that I need. It's just it's just a couple of hours of sleep. And so I will try and get a couple of hours of sleep on Wednesday in Seattle and a couple of more hours of sleep on Thursday morning uh, into the afternoon before I go to the garden. Well, for your sake, my friend, I'm going to hope that Ron Francis doesn't trade half the Kraken between now and that game. Because I would say waking up only to find, I'm sorry, who who is that guy? Who did they call up? Who's, yeah. who's in town now? I saw this guy coming in on a cab. I'm sorry, is he on the Kraken now? Uh, of all the things that have been said on this show this season, including play-by-play announcers, Howie, Jiggs, Kenny, Albert, one of the low-key most amazing things is this idea that you have a printer with you on the road and, and print out stuff. I'm still old school. I was in a league meeting the other day, and there you go. Brendan showing us his, his printer. Hopefully we capture that. Um, yeah, I was made fun of because I went to a meeting the other day, and I actually had a, a legal pad with me and some notes. But the idea that you have this printer and you're printing stuff out is just just amazing. It, it, it's 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 partially by necessity. My handwriting is so bad that I can't read it. So everything has to be printed pretty much. That's that's where I'm at. Now somebody much, you're much younger than me, somebody much younger than you would say that there's probably a way to do that with just your laptop and your screen, but that doesn't give you the you need to be nimbler, right? That's me, right? Like you need to you can't be going from page to page. You need you need these pieces of paper in front of you, right? So Jack Edwards has a series of tablets that he uses to where I print them out. He actually has interactive tablets in front of him. He has three tablets, one for each team and a middle one with stats. Um, and, and at 37, I can't even get behind doing something like that. I'm just good for you, Jack, but like, I'll just print mine out. That's fine. That's amazing stuff. So let's go a little rapid fire because I've already taken more of your time than I wanted to and you got a game to do. Final games at Nassau Coliseum. I know you didn't get to do all of them because those darn national broadcasters, like you are sometimes, uh, come in. And Kenny, I don't know if you saw Kenny on the show, he was very respectful and said, I get it. I know people want to hear Brendan, you know, and they'll be saying that about you, or they probably are saying that about you. But that last, your final games at the Coliseum, just to have those moments, or even just to be there as a fan, because you probably got to enjoy it a little bit, perhaps with your wife and family. What was that like? Yeah, it was one of those where, you know, like I, I, I pretty much I pretty much knew that I was not going to get to call the last game, right? The, after the first round, we know we're done. Islanders went through that first round and you're like, okay, I'm I'm done. Um, but this team goes on. 
the, the interesting thing for me is that by doing NBC, I was busy and I was doing other games and I was barely even watching the Islanders, unfortunately, because I was doing games at the same time as the Islanders were playing. Um, but I came back and came to a game, I guess as a fan, but, you know, stood at the press box and actually, you know, kind of felt the arena without a headset on for the first time. You know, we get a filtered version of the crowd, right? Like I'm listening to the crowd that's going through microphones to an audio mixer who's making it sound great and feeding it into a headset. And I can tell it's loud and I can take off my headset, but to really experience that arena without a headset on was, was something special there at the end. The last game at the Coliseum, um, I said my wife, I stayed home with the kids. Um, you know, she, I had been to, as you can imagine, a lot of games um, and, and she hadn't gotten that experience. And I said, you know what, you go. And she went with a friend and I stayed at home, watched the kids and let her go have a great time. And, and I'm so happy I did that. She was able to get that, that experience as well, because it, it was something special and something that, you know, the, for every reason why they needed a new arena was every reason why it was so cool to see it in the old one. Um, you know, it, it was, it, it, they don't build them like that anymore and for good reason, but to have it here in, in 2021, um, was, was special. I say that about like Wrigley field, right? Wrigley field is a really cool place to go watch a baseball game, but for a long time, it was just a crappy old stadium that they never updated, right? Like every other place either updated it or knocked it down and Wrigley for whatever reason, uh, or number of reasons just decided to say, you know what, we're just going to play in this old dilapidated stadium. Now it's cool because it's retro, but for a long time, it was just not great. And I think the Coliseum was that, and then it got the the limited updates that it got to make it a little more uh, cozy, but still uh, still the bones of the building. And so it was a really cool, really cool run. I always, like we said, uh, started in Brooklyn. I always felt as an Islander broadcaster that I was missing something. Like that, that I didn't have the experience of calling a game at Nassau Coliseum. And it was something that, you know, every other Islander announcer had, not me, right? And my, I felt like I was faking it because I wasn't really an Islander, right? Um, and so for to have that team go back and to get that experience, now I can say that I'm, I'm officially an Islanders broadcaster. That's great. I was on a podcast a couple of weeks ago because that's what we do, right? We're all talking to each other on podcasts now. And I was asked for my Islander player of the week. And, you know, when they, the other guys, the hosts were talking, uh, Sean Cuthbert, we're picking Palmieri or whoever got, had the big week. And I'm just sitting there and I just said, Eric Kornick. Eric Kornick's my, you know, 40 years, 40 plus years. So, so could you, you know, we know about the skinny. We see him on Twitter. But actually for the, for the guy who you rely on, him the most he's he's working for you the most could you summarize for the fans what that's like when he's there live and how that helps you be a better play-by-play announcer yeah um you know he he often is referred to as a statistician um he's he's more than that i mean i i think i think it's joe buck that refers to his stats guy as more of a broadcast consultant um i would put eric corning in that category uh if you need any more evidence of that number one uh tnt now flies him around the country with me so I have him with me on national games. Uh, two, I had NBC use him for lacrosse games with me, even though he knows knew very little about lacrosse because he is, um, one, very gifted in what he does with the stats, but two, thinks the game like a broadcaster and knows, hey, you're talking about this. I'm going to give you something to build on that. I'm going to give you stats to back up what you're already talking about. Um, and he can do it in such quick fashion where 
it, it works in the flow of conversation. It's not, oh, three minutes later, I go back and throw in another note that he handed me. He can do it in real time. And so he does it on a whiteboard. Sometimes I struggle to read his handwriting. We joke about that. Um, but for him to be able to do that in real time is invaluable. Plus, you know, I got the Islanders job at 32 years old. I was not alive when the Islanders won a Stanley Cup. Okay, I was born in July of 1984. Just missed it. Okay, so having somebody that can be my memory for events that I could not have remembered is invaluable. Right, like he knows everything for 40 years worth of Islanders, has the recall to bring it up, and then has the ability to feed it to me in a way where I can sound like I know what I'm talking about. And so for somebody who is young and and inexperienced, especially at the start in the Islanders lore, um, it, it's just it's hard to it's hard to put a value on how much he has helped me become the Islanders broadcaster and not just a guy calling Islanders games. And I think that's the difference. But well it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. I, I will, like I said, I, I use him as much as I can. I've used him on other sports. I use him on other networks. Um, you know, he texts me. I think I've done college football games where he's not working, but will text me stats or information because that's how he consumes sports. Um, it, it's 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 great to have him along for the ride. I I didn't know about the lacrosse thing. I had heard about uh, the national work, uh, and Kenny's had his people uh, fly around, and I know that that. That's like the ultimate difference maker when you get that call and, and, and the network determines that, that he is so important because I know a lot of times announcers just pick up people on the road. You know, as a kid, I did yeah. that, right? And so uh, this he takes it to a, another level. He's doing lacrosse. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and, he, and he and I have a, have a competition too, right? Like he'll show me a note. And if I have the same note on my stuff, I'll show it to him and tell him that I have that one too. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he'll, he'll also sometimes be writing a note and I will say what he's writing before he's gotten it down. And he just looks at me and wipes off the whiteboard and we move on. But it's just funny when when I can beat him or he can beat me and and, and we have a good time with it. Um, don't be humble and say everything. Are there specific areas or one or two that you say, you know, I, I, I continue to try, I continue to not be great at that or very good or as good as I want to be and try to work at it. And and then, of course, there's the the Pelic and the Pulak and the different <laughs> names that I can't get right even on a podcast, let alone calling them live and play by play. But where are the areas that you or area specifically that you work at? I think there's probably two that come to mind. I think vocabulary is one that we always work on, um, you know, whether it's, you know, on ice geography is one thing because, you know, that's more important in radio than television. But I just think the the same things happen so many times throughout the course of a hockey game that you can very easily get into the habit of saying the same things over and over again. Doc is the ultimate extreme example of the opposite of that, where he can find a hundred different ways to describe the exact same play. Um, Not everybody has that ability, um, but I think we should all, and at least I do strive to be more like that, where you have a deeper bag of vocabulary to go to and not get stuck in the same rut of saying the same thing over and over again. Um, you know, so that's one thing that I think is constantly in evolution um, to try and get that more and more. And, and, and to be honest, I don't think I'll ever get to a point where I go, OK, I'm good. Right. Like I, I've, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I've got all my words done. I'm, I'm ready to go. I think that's something that will, I'll always be you know, working on. And, and that's where coming listening back to a broadcast comes into play where you can pick up more of that stuff. 
um, and actually keep a notebook of writing down, oh, I said this too much. And sometimes it's as easy as you have to have another word and then you just have to focus on that because you need to get it part of your regular repertoire. Um, and you can do it on a game by game basis, on a period by period basis of just trying to, you know what, I'm going to add this in tonight and see if you can keep it going. The other part that I'd probably say that I'm working on and that I still struggle with today, um, not necessarily in the way I'm doing it, but just in the role of being a play by play broadcaster is, is storytelling. You know, storytelling is something that, you know, not to keep talking about Doc, but Doc is extremely gifted at telling stories. And so many play by play guys, Vin Scully and all the greats are very gifted at being storytellers. My problem comes in where in the evolution of sports media, it's really hard to get stories that aren't already out there now, right? Like Doc and Vin Scully and all these guys would go into locker rooms and uncover these stories that no one has ever told before. That's really hard to do now. Also, with the speed of the game, the amount of sponsorships, the analyst-driven medium that television is, the play-by-play's time to wax poetic on a broadcast is limited. And so being able to find good stories, pick good spots to tell them and not jamming them in on an icing, um, all of those things where I wind up not telling the stories that I have ready because I'm waiting for a better time that never comes. And so those are things that I work on of trying to, one, have good stories, two, have the time to tell them, and three, make them make them worth what they should be. Um, and not just a little anecdote, but actually go in and tell the story. And, you know, like I, I'm beating myself over. I, I, we talked a lot about Sonny Milano um, in the game against Anaheim because he born and raised in Massapequa and there's so many good angles to it. But I had more and I, and I didn't get in one specific story. I wanted to tell the story of him growing up in Massapequa and falling in love at, in Kings Park at the rink, watching his sister play to take figure skating lessons. And that he played local youth hockey on Long Island from being a mite all the way to being a bantam. Because I think that was important for fans and kids that might be doing the exact same thing to go, hey, this guy's doing what I did and he's in the NHL. And I never got that story in because we had spent so much time talking about Sonny Milano that that one, that piece never worked in. Sonny Milano's dad works at UBS Arena. Never got that in. So there are just so many things where it's like there's great stuff, but you can't get everything in. And so picking and choosing spots to, to get it in is something that I, I think is is worth working on. There will be other. I mean, you covered the Milano story very well, um, but there's more and there'll be more opportunities. And, and maybe Sonny will play for the Islanders someday. You never know, right? <laughs> and we'll Which, have all the time to tell stories. Yeah, then you'll, you'll be run out by the end of the first game. Um I want to just close with this thing you're talking about storytelling. Now I want to go back and go back to the end and the most intense moments of the games. So you have these this understanding with AJ and with Butch and and with Panger, uh, not understanding, but you know when they jump in and, and and when things you want to watch out for. But in the really big moments, especially the playoffs, last five minutes, tie game, is like I'm thinking that I if I'm you, I would want to be like. Not that it's not that you want it to be your show, but that it really has to be. You don't want to run the risk of gabbing you or 
your partner uh, and, and not capturing that big moment. So is there either an understanding before that last TV timeout, for example, or during it to say, hey, we got to. Yeah, we'll, we'll put, we, darn, we, we didn't get to those 17 angles we wanted to talk about in your notebook or off your printer, I should say. Um, but we really got to focus here. So how, how does that work? Yeah, I, I think there's a, there's a pretty good understanding that once we get down, if it's a one goal game and we're inside five minutes to go, um, there are times where uh, the analysts just, they just know. And they, and they won't come in unless there's a whistle or I bring them in. Um, there are also times where I won't let them in. I mean, that's that's the reality of it, where, like we talked about, my call has natural spaces in to let them in. I won't give it to them. I'll just keep going. And and it's not necessarily about the information that needs to be said by me, but it's about keeping the flow and the attention on the puck, because to me, that's that's where we're at. If we're in a one goal game late in the third period, that's where the attention is. It's, it's on the action. It's not about uh, anything else. It's about the puck carrier. And so... Sometimes Panger specifically, just because you mentioned him, um, you know, he and I have had a knack for getting incredible games for TNT. Um, this year, we've gotten a ton of one goal games, overtime games, comeback games. You know, the, we had the the Coyotes beat the Maple Leafs with it just we've gotten some really good games. And and he will often say at that last TV timeout, which occurs sometimes between, you know, six minutes and three minutes, usually left on the clock in the third period. He'll just turn to me and go, okay, bring us home, partner. Like he just knows, like this is this is your time to shine. Um, and especially when, you know, there's an extra attacker on, like that's when, like I, that's when I love doing what I do, right? Like I am, I'm a radio guy at heart. So to be able to do nothing but call that puck as fast as it's being whipped around the ice, um, you know, that's where, that's where I feel I'm at my best. And that's what I really enjoy. So to have that uh, in those last minutes and try and get, um, you know, that moment captured, that's that's the ultimate. And I, I will say this, there's only one time that I have physically put my hand up to Butch to say, hold on a second. Um, and that was that was um, that was Barzell's overtime winner in the playoffs against the Pittsburgh Penguins back in 2019. Um, or sorry, that was it was Josh Bailey's overtime winner. Um, you know, the the in game one of the playoffs at back at the Coliseum, the first playoff game back at the Coliseum after they moved back. And, you know, we got that epic shot of Robin Leonard standing in his crease on the opposite end of the ice, which every time I talk about that play, um, shout out to Joel Mandelbaum, our director, for taking a shot 200 feet away from everything that was happening because it's a great shot and there's no reason to take it. And he took it, and I love that shot. Um, but Butch, Butch likes to jump in, right? And I just felt in that moment, I'm like, let this breathe for a second. And I don't know if he was going to jump in or not, but that was the only time I've been like, just hold on, wait a second. And we just kind of let the pictures and the crowd take over. Um, but, you know, we all kind of have that understanding of when it's the play-by-play guy's job and when it's uh, – and, and, and thus, when it's the director's job, right? When I know when to shut up. Um, when I know we pay a director to do his job – let him do his job. And that was, there are those moments too, where I don't even need to say anything. That's a great peek inside the booth, but also inside the truck and everywhere else and, and how, how it works. Uh, the NHL on TNT has been fantastic. You're a big part of that. 
Uh, but the whole production, I think, for first year, uh, right out of the gate, has been great. Uh, I thank TNT also for, for making this interview possible uh, and the work on MSG Networks. I mean, they're, they're one of the best for all their games, Devils, Rangers, and Islanders. And you know what? I The game against Washington that you're doing and for the for the fans that aren't don't care about the Islanders, you could snicker all you want, but it's low key important because they've won three in a row, and if they win, and I think they can, there's some hope, right? It's just about getting to the next one, which then I believe is the Rangers, a little minor game against the Rangers, if I have that yep. right, right? But that that you is these are my words you're now living to see another day and that's of course that might sound absurd because washington's x amount of points ahead and you know and boston's right ahead of them but there's a there's a momentum there losing not good right there's just no way even the best pr person even kimber you know would be able to spin that one or a or announcer um but winning so you're going into this game you do you feel that going into this game yeah, I, mean, I, I think what 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 you have to feel and recognize is that if you look at the standings and go, all right, how do the Islanders get in? The only scenario that has the Islanders getting in has the Caps missing, I think, when you look at it realistically. If there's one team that they're going to catch, it's probably going to be Washington. So if you're going to sell that dream and you're going to continue on climbing, you have to win this game to... to they have to win all of their games in hand and then some. So when you get a head-to-head, one of those proverbial four-point games, which I hate saying, but four-point games where you go up to and they go down to, the, you need those. If you don't get those, it makes it virtually impossible to catch them. Um, and so that's that's what you have to kind of sell going into that game. And the importance of that game is if they don't win this one, it's getting really, really hard to sell that dream of this miraculous you know, last segment comeback uh, to get into the playoffs because I think the Capitals, uh, if you have to pick a team, the way the Islanders are right now, they need to go on a heck of a run and the Caps need to have a pretty steep downfall. Um, And with the Capitals' current goaltending situation, it's not out of the realm of possibilities. Let's just say that. If there's going to be a team, like I said, that you would pick to miss, it would probably be them. So, yeah. Tomorrow, uh, the game against the Caps is, is pretty important. And it's just you're, it's a four-game winning streak. Sounds a lot better. It's again, it's to me, it's just it's before the trade deadline. It's before the next game, which happens to be against the Rangers. It's just looking ahead. Uh, and, and is it the end of the world if they lose? No. Is it the biggest deal if they win? No. But it, it means something. And those are the moments that play-by-play announcers live for. So. Thank you know now I've taken up your voice. Hopefully you have some left for the game. Um, thank you so much for doing this, Brendan. This was really really great. You gave up so much insight and uh, personally, professionally, and it just it means the world to all of us. Uh, and thank you very much. No, thanks, Chris. Always uh, always enjoy talking shop. So thanks for your mail. Thank you to Brendan Burke. We'll be back in a, in a sec after this read for the Main Street Board Game Cafe and have a little conversation with our guest producer and friend Lou Pellegrino. The Main Street Board Game Cafe is in Huntington Village on Long Island's North Shore. Games for sale and games for play, food and drink, beer and wine, fun and friends. 
Bring the magic of phones down, eyes up, tabletop board games to your family. The staff will help you find the right board game for you. From card and party games to games for families to strategy games, they have it all. We really appreciate their support all season, making these Islander 4 checks available and Hockey Press Pass, along with the rest of our sponsors. So get off your screens, unplug your game for a night your family will remember. Looking for groups to join? Their Magic the Gathering, Dungeons & Dragons, and Warhammer communities are welcoming for all. Located at 307 Main Street in Huntington Village. Go to MainStreetBoardGameCafe.com for more information. Main Street Board Game Cafe. Find your crowd. Unplug your game. Brendan was really great, Lou. Uh, we don't know each other, uh, Brendan and I. A couple exchanges over the years, but uh, first time talking to him. I, you don't know how it's going to go with play-by-play guys, but he I just thought he was so insightful as to the process mm-hmm. and his story and also how much getting that call meant for him. What were your takeaways? You know, I, I've never crossed paths with him before until tonight, um, and uh, it was amazing because as someone who has been a producer of radio and TV, you really learn to appreciate the guys who get it the guys who put the work in, the guys who don't put themselves ahead of the game. And you can just see and hear when he's calling a game or even during this conversation, he doesn't think he's bigger than the game. He respects the game. And I don't mean it in the sense where, you know, there are these people out there that feel like you can't change the rules of the game. You're not respecting the game. I just mean that he's a fan who has a great job, who appreciates it, and loves the sport that he's calling, and you can hear it. You can hear it. You could see it in his face because even when you're watching a game, you could tell when someone has a smile on their face while they're talking. Whenever I watch an Islander game, I feel like he's smiling the entire time because who has a better job than me at this time? And I think he takes such pride in his preparation and pride in what he does, and it comes through. It really comes through the speakers on the TV. It was, it was a telling moment where I thought he uh, perhaps was on the verge of getting a little emotional talking. When I asked him, was there a moment in that sixth or seventh year in the minors where he started to think, like, am I going to be able to do this? And, and, he, and he mentioned the Peoria team, uh, you know, a team folding and perhaps having mm-hmm. to move. And he had months there where he was on unemployment and he made the call to Robert Esch and made his plea. So I think most of the people who do this really do have a deep appreciation for what they do and they don't take it for granted, but you really got a taste of it. I was also wondering as a uh, fan and as a consumer of all things Islanders, uh, what you think of, of Brendan's work itself, whether it be on TNT or the local broadcast for the Islanders. You know, it's funny. It's sort of like living in a town and there's this really great bar band that makes it. And all of a sudden, everybody around the country loves this band. And you think to yourself, think of Bruce Springsteen. Think mm-hmm. of Billy Joel. Somebody, you know, Bruce Springsteen's associated with Jersey. So is Bon Jovi. You look at Billy Joel in Long Island and Huntington in that area. When they were starting out, cutting their teeth, honing their craft, they had people that supported them at the bar, whether it was, you know, the old Dublin pub that was on Jericho Turnpike or wherever it was in New mm-hmm. Hyde Park. It, you know, and they were ours. They were ours. And now he's ours as Islander fans, but now everybody around the country 
is starting to know the name Brendan Burke, and it's fantastic for him, and it's fantastic for his brand and his name, and just being able to say, I'm working with Butch Goring, I'm working with Darren Pang, I'm working with this person, I'm working with that person, but, you know, so I'm happy, and I've tweeted this out, and I don't think he's ever seen it, but I've tweeted to him saying, you know, I am so happy and proud of all your success because you are really the new breed of hockey broadcaster. You are one of the younger, he's younger than me, you know, so he's at his age doing what he's doing for a team in the metropolitan area. And whether you're a Ranger fan, a Devil fan, an Islander fan, a Buffalo Sabres fan, whoever watches on MSG, you know there's a big fan base. You know there are a lot of ears and eyes on him. And the fact that he's doing it so well and coming in after Howie and Howie doing it after Jigs, I mean, you know, you never want to be the guy after the guy after the guy, but he's holding it up. He makes you proud to be an Islander fan when you listen to the broadcast, just like listening to Sam on Ranger broadcasts or listening to Steve Cangelosi or listening to Doc when he was doing it. Doc's obviously, you know, the, the cream of the crop and the upper echelon of upper echelons. But as an Islander fan, I feel the franchise is in good hands with him. I think he takes pride in the team. I think he loves the team, you know? I love the connection, the story that he told you, not the story, but just taking us inside again about Butch Goring and, and how much they see of each other because they travel together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That was really, you could see how a bond, it has to form, but like he said, and this is true, we're not going to get into naming names or whatever, but, and, and there's nothing wrong with that too. There are play-by-play and color commentator announced teams where they don't click off the air and they they sure it's two cabs might not be two planes mm-hmm. but it's two cabs or there's mm-hmm. age difference or whatever uh the fact that these uh two gentlemen of different generations um have bonded so well and you, you feel it on the air right don't, don't you sense it yeah absolutely and you know what don't leave and i know you didn't do it intentionally but aj and shannon yeah, oh, yeah. and even when and even when jennifer botterill was around mm-hmm. she they all of them the entire crew was fantastic. They have fun. They add something to every broadcast. You know, guys like us who love the Islanders, who have been around the team a lot over the years, whether as fans or working in the media or working for the team, you know, you can you can definitely see, like you were saying, when, when people either don't get along or there's just like a misconnection, there's something not right. All of them on the Islanders broadcast team they all seem to get it. They all seem to connect. And even when Stan was around, and he would be a perfect complement to Shannon and AJ and Jennifer and, and Brendan and Butchie. I mean, it, it's been so fun. And now you add Anson Carter to the mix every once in a while, mm-hmm. and he's another hockey savant who just, you know, loves the game. And MSG Network really has the right pieces in place for all the locals. They really do. But Brendan, I'm a fan you know, um, and like I said, I just I just think this franchise is in good hands, and he's going to be here hopefully for forty years, maybe fifty, doing this until he's like eighty something. You know, but I just feel like he could they could not have picked a more perfect guy to take over after Howie. Yeah, no, I agree. And I had at one point I did mention about the family atmosphere that you sense mm-hmm. on the air uh, with Shannon, with AJ. And I will say, you know, I, I don't know uh, Steve Napolitani uh, very well, 
but uh, it often, as you, well, you know this from your work, it starts with the producer too. When I was with Howie yeah. and Billy and Joe Micheletti, uh, Kevin Meininger was the producer, Larry Ross, Roth was the director, and they instilled in that some togetherness, which I think resulted in, in great broadcast too. So uh, mm-hmm. thank, thank you again, Lou, for doing this, for stepping in and, and being awesome as you always are. Thanks, buddy. No, no problem. I love doing this. Thank you so much. It's one of my favorite topics, the New York Islanders. <laughs> Thank you to Brendan Burke, to Blair Cofield of TNT PR, to my friend Sean Dennison, uh, who's always got great suggestions to me, to producer and co-host Lou Pellegrino, and you, all the listeners, for joining us. See you down the road for next, the upcoming episodes of Hockey Press Pass and Islanders Forecheck. Take care.